This is What the Finance. Welcome to another edition of What the Finance. And today we got a really fun one, especially in this time of the market. We're talking about income investing, which in, uh, incorporates you know, bonds and other fixed income, which doesn't sound fun. But what does sound fun is how you get paid in retirement, how to get to retirement and get paid while in retirement. And that sounds fun. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then also, we're going to end up the show with Eddie's kind of review of the market. And just if you were under a rock for the past week, there's something that happened that's going to change the, the economy for four years. So we're going to talk about that. It's not something that just happened. I don't know how it's going to change the economy. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying it's going to change things. That might be something you might be interested in. Yeah. So the, but you're going to have to wait till the end, right? You're going to have to yeah, wait till the end. You have to stick through with us. Or I guess you could fast forward since this is a podcast. But, yeah. Don't fast know. forward because then you'll miss out a lot of jokes. Don't press send. Don't press send. Uh, don't press end or send. Send. Uh, you can send this to a friend. Send it to a friend. Yeah. All right. Let's get into how to understand how to get paid in retirement. That's fun. How do we get paid in retirement and how do we determine how much we need to save so that we can get paid what we want to in retirement? And it all starts with understanding how much you have to have in your investments and how much your investments can generate for you to pay your paycheck in retirement. Yeah, you, you know, this is kind of a, um, a podcast about portfolio construction and the changing uh, goals and objectives of your life and your financial journey. Uh, and so I think when a lot of people think about investing, they kind of think about the growth aspect. They think about, you know, a stock going from $10 a share to $12 a share to $15 a share. And that's kind of the focus on the, the total value of the portfolio, you know, rising and looking for opportunities that might be undervalued so that they can grow those investments. I mean, that's the accumulation piece or the capital appreciation, I guess. The capital appreciation is really what people focus on, but there's an equally important aspect of re- total return, and that's the income or yield. Those are sort of synonymous that you'll hear, you know, the term, you know, this investment yields this much or this investment um, pays this much amount of income. That's the second component of total return, and that's one that, that oftentimes gets overlooked because it's a lot sexier to talk about a stock rising 15% over the course of three months than it is a stock raising their dividend every year for 40 years. Um, we get excited about income investing because of the number of retirees we work with. So when we think about building out portfolio construction, um, or when we think about constructing a portfolio, we, you know, depending on what stage of, of the game you're in, that's going to determine how much you should have in your growth bucket and your income bucket. And But we, you know, to just explain buckets, we think about things in buckets because it makes it a little bit easier to, to understand. So your portfolio is comprised of different buckets, and the buckets are growth, income, alternative investments. We'll get into that and what that is in just a second. And then cash. There's always a, a, It's important to hold a component of cash within, within your portfolio. So when you're young and you're starting out, the lion's share of your investments, everything you're adding, everything that's allocated is probably going to be in the growth bucket because you're thinking long-term capital appreciation. That's your number one. Mm-hmm. Any income or any yield that's paid into your portfolio just gets reinvested into those investments that you're already holding to hopefully juice up that yield. Um, so, so that's really the, the, the stage of the game when you're first starting out and, and really for the first several years um, of, your, you know, of your investing career. So how does this work, right? So it, it's a matter of saying, what do I need to get to? That's, that's a whole other podcast I will talk to. But it's now a point saying, all right, well, now I want to retire. I want to start generating income. How much income can I generate? And a rule of thumb that we like to look at really is for every about $250,000 or so, you can generate about $1,000 in income. 
So that should be just if you're younger and you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to find out how what does this mean to me, what that means to you is that first set your goal on getting to your first $250,000 save. Because once you do that, then you can check off $1,000 into retirement. And you know that you'll have $1,000 of retirement income. And then so for every $250,000, that's $1,000 in retirement income. And what that means is it comes from the dividends and the interest and the cash flow that these investments from the yield that they pay, which will pay for your uh, for your retirement income. And so when you think now about how do we construct that portfolio and you're like, oh, how are you going to be able to get me that type of money on $250,000 uh, and give me $1,000 a month? Well, it's about the, the composition of that, which is bonds, stocks, alternative investments, and REITs. And I'll just talk on bonds real quick. Bonds, you're making a, you're basically the bank uh, for a mortgage, right? Instead of you having to pay the mortgage, you're the bank that's delivering the mortgage and they are paying you, right? So you're going to a company that wants to create uh, you wants to build more factories, wants to you know expand more, or the government wants to pay off more debt, or wants to you know whatever they want to do, build more roads. They come to you and say, "Can you give me some money?" And then we'll pay you an interest rate three, four, five percent. And so they're based off of this fixed rate. It's a contract between you and the other provider for them to pay you a fixed amount for a period of time. And then after that period of time, you get back what you gave them, your principal, and then you can reinvest that elsewhere. So bonds are tend to be safer on the spectrum because there's this fixed amount that's totaled in with them. Right. Fixed amount of dividends or interest. Interest, yeah. Dividends. Yeah, and the other thing with bonds too is it's a you know, you can you your credit quality of the company you're loaning to um, you know, speaks to that getting the principal back. So when you loan loan money or buy a GE bond, it's a pretty safe bond because it's a pretty big company that, you know, well run. <clears throat> it's a solid investment. But you know, if you're looking at more risky bonds, then then potentially you're going to get higher income, you know, higher interest payments. But your capital may be at, at a greater risk. Um, so the second uh, the second aspect of the so we we like to call it the DID approach. D I D. It's the dividends from stocks, interest from bonds, and then distributions from alternative investments. And so the reason we call it the did approach is because when people get that asset allocation, they can finally say, I did it. I did it. And, <laughs> and I do it. And I'm and still doing it. it. And I did it. Yeah. So the, so the did, um, so, you know, you just talked about the interest from bonds. So dividends come from stocks, you know, companies like Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Southern Company, Coca-Cola. You know, these guys, Chevron, have raised their dividend each and every year for you know, several, several years, they're, they're, they're a strong dividend payer because of the cash flows that their stable company is generating. So think about that as, you know, the stock might rise and fall in, in value, depending on what earnings do and depending on the, you know, the environment, what the economy is doing. You know, people don't like to drink Coke. So, you know, well, people love to drink Coke. People maybe shouldn't drink as much Coke as they, should, as they do. That stock might drop a little bit. But the thing is, is they're such a, they have such strong cash flows that they're able to consistently pay out that dividend. So the dividends that stocks pay you is the income income component um, of this did approach uh, as we're building out a diversified income, you know, generating portfolio. Right. And so then the next is the alternative income bucket. Alternative income, some people think of it as like, um, I don't know, they can think of it as like gold or, or, uh, these are managed futures. These things that you probably hear all the time, which you probably don't hear all the time. All liquid the alts, hear it all. liquid alts. These are things. Uh, these are things that that people come and try to sell to advisors to sell to their clients, and they try to make them sound all sexy, and just it's all blowing smoke up your rear end. But um, but really, how we identify uh, alternative investments is preferred stock, REITs, 
and um, and MLPs, which are Master Limited Partnerships. And so I'll talk on a few of those, and then Eddie can jump in and, and talk on a few of them, and then we can wrap this up and, and, and move on to, to what everybody's waiting for, the markets. Um, but so REITs are real estate investment trusts. Basically, these are companies, or these are investments that go and buy you know, buildings, whether it's apartment buildings or hospitals or sometimes their mortgage REITs or whatever it may be. And you basically are buying an ownership stake into that, uh, that, that asset. asset, which is an asset of a, it's a, comp- it's a portfolio assets. of many assets, right? And they pay the rent that's paid on those buildings are paid out to you. So you get a payout of that rent. So you get some exposure there. And sometimes you have exposure of the the value of the, uh, the building going up. But mainly the reason is, is because it's a stream of income that tends to be, because real estate always goes up, tends to be, jokingly, tends to be uh, pretty consistent. And so that's what a REIT is. Um, and then a master limited partnership, I'll go on that side and I'll let Eddie talk about preferreds, is master limited partnership is a, is a pipeline that transfers oil and gas across the country. So you wonder how from Texas to Atlanta or Texas to New York, you get your oil for your car. They have to go through pipeline. And basically these companies have to pay a toll to transfer the gas through this pipeline. And so when you own an MLP, you own the pipeline, which means that you get a percentage of that toll. And so you get paid out uh, over time and you get into these long-term contracts with individuals that allow for you to have some uh, steady income. Yeah, the nice part about those two uh, business structures that you that you just hit on is that the tax benefits that they enjoy require them to pay out 90% of their income to their investors. So that's what makes it an attractive income generating opportunity uh, because they are required in order to maintain their, their preferred tax status, um, they're required to pay out income to you. So um, it's great. Uh, so with preferreds, think of preferreds as sort of a hybrid between a bond and a stock. Um, it's an, it's, it is technically a stock, but it pays an, a stated rate of interest, but it's, um, so the, which is similar to a bond. So you could buy a preferred security. You know, you might buy a preferred security that you know a big financial, a big bank or a financial institution might issue, and you own you know you own a tradable. Um, Investment, but it's paying you a you know quarterly or semi-annual um, interest rate for owning that preferred security. So it's a little bit different than a bond because it is actually uh, equ- equity in the capital structure um, of the business. But it's similar to a bond in the sense that it pays you a stated rate of of interest. Um, so you know one thing I think to kind of um, tie this up with a bow that uh, you know Put Matt a bow on it. Matt always does a great job of, and and I've uh, certainly adopted describing sort of the financial journey of portfolio construction is liken this to, to building a rental house. When you first start out, you're building this house brick by brick. You know, you're, you're putting, um, you know, the roof on and, and you're, you know, you're stacking the bricks, you're putting in windows, you're putting in doors. That's saving and, and buying stocks um, all throughout the year, uh, all throughout your investing years. So you're trying to build this house um, you know, figuratively with the bricks and then, or figuratively, yeah, yeah, with the bricks and then literally with your savings dollars going into your 401k and Roth IRA and all this stuff, you're building up your nest egg, which is your, your house. Now, as you, as you get older um, and continue saving more money and it grows larger, you know, think of that as like adding on different levels to your house, maybe another room, um, expanding, uh, you're building a big mansion now at this point, right? Well, now you get to retirement and you, you need to live off of this house that you've, you've built, right? AKA your portfolio. Um, so you've got really two options. One, you can start to sell that house. 
Um, but once you sell that house, it's gone. So you've got the money that you've earned from, or that you know, grown and built from from building this house. Um, when you sell it, you can you can take that money and then spend it in retirement. But you don't know how long you're going to live. I mean, unless you know more than I do. Which, if you know how long you're going to live, call me because I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, and then, but then your other option, which we recommend doing, is renting that house. Okay. So what you're doing there is you're putting a loyal tenant in the in the home. Um, who's going to pay you rent each and every month. And here's the thing. If that house appreciates in value, great. You're not going to sell it. You're still going to rent it. If that house de- depreciates in value, I mean, it's not as great, but it's really not that big of a deal because you're still going to rent it. You're not going to sell the house because you need the income. Same thing with your portfolio. If you can learn to live off of the income that your portfolio generates, your the value of your portfolio is going to fluctuate. It's going to go up and down. But the thing is, if you, as long as you continue to live off of that income and generate the, the three kind of pillars of, of income that we just talked about, dividends from stocks, interest from bonds, and distributions from alternative investments, then you don't really have to ever sell your portfolio. Right. The one thing that I just want to put on to that that you didn't say that you usually always say that I like is that you could also live in the house and didn't just take bricks off to live on the house and, okay. and to live part of the house. But the problem is if you start taking the roof off and then it rains and then you need to repair it, then you need to take something off and it becomes this domino effect where your house becomes nothing. And that's what happens when you start living <laughs> off of your portfolio when you, when you live beyond your means of the income that the portfolio can generate. So that's how you get paid, paid in retirement. Right there. All right. Let's go on to the fun stuff. Eddie G, what happened in the market this past week? What didn't happen in the market this past week? So we started off, um, first of all, we're coming off of the longest uh, negative losing streak, basically, that the market has experienced in the last 36 years. Uh, Yeah, 36 years, actually. It was before I was born, uh, which... I'm dating myself now. Uh, so, so we were we had lost the the S and P had declined a consecutive nine days in a row until Monday, and what you don't what you may or may not remember is on Sunday, uh, the FBI came out and said that you know the whole email deal with Clinton you know it was kind of status quo there wasn't they weren't going to move forward with indicting or whatever the news was and you know for whatever reason the markets loved that so we rallied like 370 points it was a really really huge day huge on Wall Street on Monday. Okay, so that broke uh, a nine-day losing streak. Well, Tuesday, as most of you recall, was election day. Um, I think it suffices to say that most of America was surprised uh, as Trump did win. And so overnight, there's um, an after-hours market that's it's basically a futures trading contract um, that's occurring. Well, we saw the market like at 2 a.m., dip to down 900 points on the Dow. So it was a pretty uh, hairy drop and the news outlets were, you know, inciting fear and, um, you know, covering this pretty, uh, you know, pretty substantially. So if you missed all that, kudos to you. Um, If you didn't miss all that, you know, I'm sorry for the anxiety that that likely caused. Well, almost in lockstep with his acceptance speech uh, after you know Hillary had made the con- uh, concession call, um, you started to see the, those losses start to pair. And it almost by the time we woke up, Dow futures were only down about 200 points. By the time the market opened, it was only down about 40, 40, 45 points. And by the end of the day, you know the Dow was up 250 points. So it was the one of the largest, you know, kind of intraday swings, I guess you'd say, from a 
future standpoint to a closing standpoint that we've ever seen in the market history. Um, you know, certainly sectors like healthcare and financials saw a huge bump because, um, you know, the the, the perception is that Trump is going to be more favorable to those industries, um, particularly pharma and, uh, and biotech. Uh, so we've seen those run. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that I want to want to mention, too, is, you know, when we're talking about this and largely when you talk about the market, they're talking about the Dow Jones. It's because it's the bigger number. It's because it incites the most fear. Right. The, the S&P was also way down in futures trading, but it only represented like 100 points. So what sounds better, Dow down 900 or S&P down 100? Nobody's going to you know, get all riled up. That when, they, when they were talking about the S&P, they said S&P is down 5%. When they were talking about the Dow, they said the Dow's down 900. It's because it incites more fear. So I want you to keep that in mind, even on the good side, right? Even when the Dow goes up 370 points, you know, that feels a lot better, but it shouldn't change anything about your situation. Um, one thing I did want to mention, though, is the NASDAQ has seen a pullback. So the NASDAQ tra- largely tracks technology stocks. So we've seen the NASDAQ actually towards the end of the week um, pull back and the FANG, you know, the ever famous FANG stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, the ones that everyone has been talking about because they've absolutely, you know, beaten every index and have been just on a tear over the last 18 to 24 months. Um, those were down a collective three and a half percent yesterday when the Dow rallied. So you can see that there are certain sectors that are certainly outperforming others. Um, but just to keep in mind, in a diversified portfolio, you're going to own much more than just the Dow. So not everything's always going to run when the Dow runs. And conversely, not everything's going to fall when the Dow falls. But lastly, I do want to just wrap this up since we were doing this every week. The S&P 500 once again correctly predicted the president of the United States. So it was 19 of the last 22 elections. Now it's 20 out of the last 23 elections. The S&P was negative in the three months leading up to election day, which meant that the challenging party was going to take over. What a sneaky little S&P. And what a, what a, what a market wrap up. It, it, it kind of aligned itself with what the, the type of week that we had. It was a lot, a lot, and a lot more. And that's what happens when you have a lot in a week. So you have a lot, a in, lot, a, lot in a wrap in a up. All right. Remember, keep yourself keep yourself on an even keel when you're investing in the markets. Don't try to time the market. Don't try to, you know, outsmart it because I'll tell you this, the market will always outsmart you except for that one time that you'll brag about it when you did it right. You'll brag about that at your freaking cocktail parties forever. But don't remember but always remember the times when you didn't get it right. So, here's to here's to retirement sooner than you thought and here's to uh, four years that we can all come together. Let's all come together for the next four years and let the economy continue to grow. Let's go. Kumbaya, my friends. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Check us out at getwella.com. G-E-T-W-E-L-A.com.